I just love you guys. And Wayne, uh, faithfully, he visited us several times while we were in Texas, uh, text and email, and I'd appreciate that. He reminded us this is home, and we have to come back. So uh, this morning, <laughs> we had a great trip going to Texas. I'm not going to tell you about all the woes and the sorrows. We, our bags got there. They took a different flight, and they got there later. We did get some of you asked about Anita's Bible. We did find her Bible, and she didn't have to wreck any airplanes to get it back. And It was just a great time to relax. And I told uh, one of my physicians that three mornings on that week already, I had slept in to 7 or 7.30. That's pretty good. We should all do that. Anita thought I was holding back because she thought I'd slept in to 8 o'clock one morning, but hey, you know. So I'm going to just talk to you this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about John chapter 3. I appreciate if you open your Bible um, to John chapter 3. We're going to uh, go through this. I'm, I'm really kind of at a place where I don't want to belabor the text, uh, if you know what I mean. You know, you go through and you parse every word and you parse everything. I don't want to do that to you. I want you to love and cherish reading the gospel of John. John is, a, John is the author of... The, the gospel that points to salvation. John is one of those, he would have been a great person for Princeton, Illinois. He would have loved it here. Hard work, wonderful people, great place to be. Uh, he could walk for miles and never have to walk uphill. It would just be a great time. I, I just know he would have loved being here. And, and when we last spoke about this passage, and I'm going to take my sweater off for obvious reasons, it's starting to get a little warm in here. When we last spoke, we talked about John chapter 2. And one verse from John chapter 2 I want to bring us back to are two verses. John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. But Jesus on his part was entrusting himself, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. The, point I made with that, those two verses was everything that was going on surrounding. Jesus had cleansed the temple. Jesus had turned water into wine. Jesus had had a, an active couple of months. And lots of people were saying, wow, this guy is doing miracles. And we're going to love him and we're going to believe in him. But Jesus knew what they were believing in was the miracle. They weren't believing in him. They weren't believing that these were true words that he was saying. And you can really read that uh, Jesus on his part was not entrusting him to him, himself to them because he knows what's in the heart of men. He knows what we're thinking. He knows before we ever thinking, we start thinking. I, I don't know how many times a similar situation happens among us when, you know, a person will say to another person, I knew when I first saw him that he was going to be the one I was going to marry, Right? Or when I just saw her walk out from that door, I knew that she was going to be the one I want to marry. It's, it's the sense that we just know. Sometimes we're wrong, but sometimes we're not wrong. Most of the time, I don't think we are. And that's what Jesus said. He knew the minute you showed up where your heart lay, where your faith lay, where your repentance was. And then he says, um, he didn't trust him. 
And trusting is very much the same as believe. He didn't believe that they believed. Many believed in his name, but Jesus did not believe they were being trustworthy. Jeremiah said uh, in Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Jeremiah was saying, speaking on the authority of God, that the heart is more deceitful. By itself, the heart is not trustworthy. By itself, the heart will deceive us and lie to us and convince us that something is not true, which we know is true, but we won't believe it. The heart will help us get in trouble. But Jesus, being fully God, fully man, knew the hearts of all these people. He could look in this auditorium right now and tell you what your heart was thinking. In fact, where he sits in heaven, he's probably doing that, looking at us. He loved us so much that he was willing to die to pay the penalty for our sins. I just love that music set this morning. Did you love those songs? Can you tell the difference between which one were in the book and which one were just on the screen? I mean, hymnal, not hymnal? Our worship team uses the literature of music without compromise. It worships God. It lifts God. It may be in our hymnal. It may not be in our hymnal. But did it matter this morning? Does it ever matter? That was a beautiful service this morning. It was a Valentine's service. Dane, right? Where, where, where did Dane go? Dane skips out because... Oh, no, there he is. I see him. He's taking pictures. Hi, Dane. <laughs> okay, we're moving right along. We were called to believe, not to marvel at the miracles, not to marvel at the TV guys that do miracles and fake raising someone from the dead. We're to believe in the word of God. We're to believe in what he said. He knows our shallowness and he knows our lack of dependability and our lost condition and our ruined condition. And he knows what this man Nicodemus is going to ask him when he comes before he ever gets there. And I think it's important to notice when Jesus says he didn't trust any of them and the first person as kind of like For example, the one that may have been believing in the miracles but didn't believe in Jesus was Nicodemus. And the beauty of this, let me just read the passage. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The, this guy was a leader. Some, some texts say he was a high leader in the Pharisees. He was a high leader in the temple church and the structure there. This was a man that would be considered someone like in the administration of the president. Has the president's ear. Speaks to the high priest. And he comes as a ruler of the Jews and as a, a man who should been, has been highly trained in the early in the New Te- in the Old Testament said, uh, "No one can do these signs you do unless God is with him." And the next part of his question is not asked because Jesus already knows his heart. 
The next part of your question was, was going to be, well, where are you, who, I mean, where's your authority come from? Just like when he cleansed the temple. Jesus kind of interrupts and says, um, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the answer to the question. This is the purpose for this chapter 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is not something that Jimmy Carter made up in 1976, and he got... uh, you know, what do you call it, gaslit or something like that? Because he was saying he was born again, and people were saying, oh, that's such a Christian thing. That's such a wussy thing. That's such a... Right here, Jesus was the one that started the whole thing off. That's the word of God. Unless you are born again, unless you are born again. This is a prime example of Jesus in this passage here in John six forty four. Jesus will say... No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Nicodemus came because he had questions. He's like many of us. He had questions, and he had studied and studied and studied. I had a a guy that I worked with in York, Maine for almost a full time. He came the very first Sunday Anita and I went to that church in York. He came. And we walked with him, and we discipled him, and gave him things to read, and helped him study the Bible, helped him become more proficient. And uh, the second year he was there, I had him speak from the pulpit four or five times. He did a good job, not as good as Gail, but it was a good job. And he, before we left, he got married. Beautiful young lady that I've been praying that he would notice. And she had already noticed him. It's a pretty simple thing. They got married. God drew him. He'd been chasing uh, uh, Islam. He'd been chasing Hinduism. He'd been reading all the New Age religions. And he came to this passage. And God spoke to him, James. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. My mother-in-law, Nita's mom, Sat in the Bible study one night, 60 years old. When the door of her church had been opened, she was there. I mean, she taught choir. She taught the, the confirmation classes and things like that. She was there. And one night at 60 years old, she sat in a Bible study in our home, and she said, what does it mean to be born again? Because that's so critical. She got born again, and I believe that she always was a child of God, but she suddenly became this flower that just bloomed. She was a ladies' leader in the Bible study fellowship. She was just a more of a miracle than she was before. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born again? And Nicodemus asked the same question. How can a man be born again? I, I, I can't enter my mother's womb a second time. I mean, it's just not possible. Physics and all the other laws or whatever won't let it happen. Jesus said, here's what you missed. Unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you are born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so we, we think about that and we say to ourselves, what does that mean? What does it mean to be water? Is that the, the natural birth? Now, Jesus is not talking about that because Nicodemus has already been born, right? 
When God draws you to himself, you've already been born. You've had that event. So he wouldn't say that's something you have to do again. He would say that you have to be born of the water. And the water in God's thinking, the water in the thinking of the Jews was the washing of the Spirit of God cleansing you. The washing of the Spirit of God cleansing you. I'm just going to give you just one example of that. You can't be born again. Therefore, we know that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature and old things have passed away. And we know also that Jesus answered, truly I say to you, you must be born of the water, which is the word of God, and the spirit, which is heaven's gift. And you must learn to, uh, you must be washed. And I thought I had that passage in here. Just let me look a second. Well, I'm going to get to it in verse 9. There are passages in Isaiah and passages in Ezekiel and passages throughout the Old Testament that said Jesus will wash you, Jesus will bless you, you will be cleansed, you will be pure, you will get a new heart. He'll rip the old deceitful heart out and give you a new heart. Hmm. A lot of stuff going on here. And this man Nicodemus is someone that we should imagine as being a high... uh, Hi, Mukti Muck, and wouldn't it be nice if the governors of our nation and the senators and the representatives and the mayors and the people like that, if the president would come to someone that they know to be a Christian or think that is a Christian and said, why do you do the things you do? Why do you act the way you act? And you could say to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's the gospel. That's the gospel right there. That's Jesus cutting through all this. Look at my signs. Look at my miracles. And check that out. He's saying, no. You need to be born of the water, which is the washing with the word. We see that in Titus 3, 5, the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, not for salvation, but so that we could be in a state of repentance. We could be ready to receive salvation. And the Spirit. We can wash ourselves with the, with the word by reading it, We get a guy like Wayne and we sit in a coffee shop or Jim Terrence or another one of the brothers or the sisters and just let them help us understand what the word means. I I don't know. I would just say there is a guy in here who is trying to retire that he always asks me the hardest questions. And he always does it so subtly. But he really, truly wants to know what I said about something, or what I think about something, or what maybe the Word of God is that he didn't understand at the time. And it's a, it's a blessing to have, I can't, won't call his name because he's bigger than me. I just keep trying to answer his questions. The double amen truly, truly puts emphasis into what Jesus is about to speak. Here Jesus is speaking of something new, not just something from above, the, the The filling of the Holy Spirit is something from above. But there is another thing to it. On your own, you will never get there. You have to be born again. You have to choose to read the Word. You have to choose to be changed by the Word. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Unless one is born of the water and the spirit, it cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Here's another thing about this passage particularly. This is a one-on-one with God. You individually must be born again. And you cannot get your parents or your children to be born again unless you're washing them with the Word. However that looks to you. Maybe it's just a saying. Maybe it's just a comment. Maybe it's a constant reminder. Jesus is pointing out that the new birth comes out from the The Word, we read the Word, and it transforms us, it regenerates us, and He gives us the Spirit. It's a human side, and there's a spiritual side. Actually, both of them are the spiritual side, because God throws a big hook. Can you imagine the size of the hook God needed to get Wayne in? And he just started drawing him in, reading the Word of God, reading the Word of God. And pretty soon, Wayne said, he fell on his face and cried holy and said, I trust it. And God did that, drew him here. God did that, opened his mind to the word of God. God did that, brought his spirit to move in because Wayne needed a new heart and he couldn't get it on his own. The spirit of God came in and gave him a new heart and he's got a new heart. Amen? Does he call you and check you out and come visit you? Yes. That's not his old heart. That's Wayne. Born again. That's the, that's the beauty of it. We were, it speaks of uh, everything that we know about it. And water baptism is associated with repentance and death. Chapter 4, we'll read that Jesus wasn't baptizing. He did baptize, though. It says, go into all the earth and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What is the medium we baptize people in? For salvation, we baptize them in the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We don't baptize them with motor oil. We don't baptize them with olive oil. We don't baptize them with a nice, hot, soapy bath. We baptize them in the name of God. We baptize them when they fall on their knees and cry, Holy. That's how we baptize them. And we do something later to signify they've been saved. But baptism is not salvation. Jesus is saying that right now. Jesus is pointing out that the new birth comes from the Word and the Holy Spirit. It speaks of death when we're baptized after we were saved. It speaks of death. You know, when you're baptized after you're saved, it signifies that you have been baptized you have accepted Christ you have been buried with him in the water we go buried with him to sin and death and all that other nonsense and you have been raised to new life amen I remember when Nina and I were baptized she well it's okay it was a hot tub December the 15th on the parking lot of our church in Anchorage Alaska snow frost ice we get in our sweatshirts and our shorts and whatever we're going to wear in the hot tub, and we come out the door freezing to death, and the pastor's standing there freezing to death, and we get in that tub. That tub didn't mean anything except it said to the whole congregation, these two crazy people 
have trusted Christ as their Savior. Back into the house. That's just beautiful. We were born again, and we were so excited about being baptized. So excited about that. The water hears the word, and Jesus tells the woman at the well. Remember what he said? Well, we haven't got there yet. But he said, whoever drinks the water that I offer will never thirst. It is the water of the word. It is the testimony of the gospel. And Christ uses it in, uh, or Christ through the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.25, or 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he, Christ, sanctified his church having cleansed her by the washing of the water and the spiritual responsibility of the husband who is the head of the family. I know this is kind of controversial, but he is the head of the family. He is responsible for washing his wife in the word, washing his family in the word, setting the spiritual tone in the family. (laughs) Christ does that for a church. Do you feel a little wet once in a while when you go out of here? Go out looking for a towel because he's been washing you with the word. Husband is a spiritual leader responsible for that in the family. In verse 6 he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, and yet do not know where it is coming from or where it is going so is everyone who is born of the spirit you cannot do it on your own there is a great difference between the flesh and the spirit you can do anything you like with the flesh you can baptize it you can pray over it but it's still flesh until um, it remains flesh actually It'll remain flesh until the end. I I should uh, preach on that one of these days. But until the end of time when we pass through the doorway of death, which is just going to be, we're going to go through laughing. We're going to get there. We're going to see Jesus and our flesh will have no more opportunity to do anything to us. Suddenly we'll get new bones and new flesh and I'll grow tall and we'll be ready to go into the presence of God. And he'll say, come on home, son. That's going to be exciting. The flesh. And the wind, if you've ever sat with a farmer and listened to the wind over the fields, and we in Texas, we call them prairies, if you ever listen to that wind, there's a tone variation when the wind gets to be a little colder. Have you ever noticed that? There's a tone variation. Sometimes you'll hear someone say, It's fall. It's going to start getting colder because of the wind. They can hear the wind. But you don't know where it came from. You don't know who's tuning the wind. You don't know any of that. You just know the wind. You just get the blessing. Many times the wind is a blessing. When it gets hot around here, the wind is a blessing. When it gets cold around here, the wind is not a blessing. But God wants it to stay cold because the apple trees or whatever need to have opportunity to go dormant. So he brings the wind sometimes instead of the snow. 
It is the thing that changes a vain, crabby person, particularly an older person who feels like they have the responsibility to make everyone else's life miserable. It will change that person into a God-honoring, God-serving person who people want to be around. If you're crabby, you need to get saved. No, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. If you don't know Jesus, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. A wicked, godless husband suddenly becomes a saint to his family and co-workers, and his family starts to change. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered. And he read from the Old Testament um, and he, he kind of threw this on Nicodemus. He said, uh, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? It says in the Old Testament, Isaiah 44, verse 3, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. It says in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 26, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 26. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all filthiness and from all your idols. We think filthiness is a word we use only on kids. Christ is saying, I will clean you in your heart, all of you, from all filthiness. And we have filthiness. He says, moreover, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A new heart. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, a heart of flesh. A heart that can breathe. It can hear. It can change. It can emote things that are worthy of God. Not a cold, hard, deceitful, Satan-managed heart. The Lord says to Nicodemus, if you had understood these earthly statements from the Old Testament, you would not be surprised when I say you must be born again. Renewal in the Old Testament always had the aspects of cleansing with the water of the word. And then John goes and completes this passage. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended from heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, this is, this is a verse you ought to memorize, right before verse 16, for whoever believes in him will have in him eternal life. Eternal life. We will be able to believe in Christ. We will walk the halls of heaven. He said he was there. He is ascended in heaven. He was in heaven. He was at the highest places in heaven. And he has come down. Are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? 
If I told you earthly things, he told him things that had to do with normal things, natural things. He would describe himself as uh, one better than Abraham or Moses. He would tell him about the birds of the field and the flowers and the hairs of the head. They didn't believe. They wouldn't believe. These words are so very powerful. They're just amazing. The Son of Man who came from heaven is omnipresent. I believe the Spirit was with us this morning as we sung songs and we welcomed the children in the children's church and we had Wayne lead us in prayer. I believe he's with us now. With your heart, he's tugging on the door post of your heart. Do you believe? Have you been born again? In Numbers 21, you can read about uh, Moses and the serpent being lifted up. But let me just read that voice, those verses again. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Nicodemus, you're looking for a sign. This is a sign you can look at. This is a sign that's in your Bible, your Old Testament. This is a sign that maybe you don't understand. Let me just kind of explain it for you. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. So the, the, the serpent had no venom in him. That bronze serpent, if you read the story, the serpent had no venom in him. But the serpent was a, a symbol of the sin of the people. And God spread it out that said if everyone who gets bitten because there were serpents and looks at the bronze serpent, he will be saved. No venom. But salvation would come. Moses made a bronze serpent. It had no personality and no sin. It was a pure example of the Holy Son of Man who would be lifted up on the cross. As a Jew who had been and a Jew who had been bitten would surely die, but if they looked at the bronze serpent, they would live. So was us. We are filled with sin. And if we look to Christ, who is our Savior, and if we see that He is hanging on the cross, this style of cross, we are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are ushered into the portals of heaven. The bronze serpent, in love and grace, Jesus took the sinner's place. He, he became our serpent in a sense, a figure of speech. And when people turn to him in faith for rescue, they will be born again. They will have eternal life. When they read this and say, but Wayne, how can I have this eternal life? Wayne said, just... Uh, Turn to him. Let's just do that in prayer. And he would bow his head. And I would bow my head. And he would lead me in a prayer confessing to God. He would lead me in that prayer. This is the gospel. This is something that is so important that we know. This is something, let me just shatter another thing since I came back and I'm resting. This is something that we need to know. 
we often say, preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words. It should say, preach the gospel all the time, and always use words. Without hearing the word, the word is the regenerating work of the spirit working on a body that is not saved. Without hearing the word, you will never be saved. My, my good nature, my good attitude, my Christian behavior won't save you. You can watch me in my entire life. You have to go here. It's wrong to say use if necessary, use words. It's right to say it will be necessary. We hear in Romans chapter 10, you remember that verse, chapter 10, verse 17? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I can't do it by being Mr. Nice Guy. You can't either. But I can do it by saying, well, Jesus said that you can't get into heaven unless you believe in him. Well, where did he say that? You need to know these words. You need to trust these words. He is and always has been the word. Christ is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We show them God in his word. We must... Hear the word of God to be drawn to this faith. You are washed in the word and secured by the Holy Spirit. When you leave this morning, you just need to ask yourself, as inept as I may have been in presenting this, when was the last time you presented someone with the word of God? Lord, I just thank you for this wonderful group of people. And Lord, as you're nurturing and making us stronger in the faith and encouraging us in the faith, Lord, would you just help us to be bold and courageous that we might open your word, we might open our mouths with your word. That the people of we know the people we come in contact with, Lord, whether they be here in Princeton or whether they be in Iowa City or whether they be anywhere. Lord, help us to be aware that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Help us to know that we need to share your word faithfully. Bless each one here now, Lord. I pray this in your holy name. Would you just stand with us as we close and with a song?